and uh, yes, thank you, I'll have that. And um, everything was going swimmingly until I discovered I sent them to the wrong place. And <laughs> I sent them to uh, Mentone Girls Grammar, when in fact the tournament's at Mentone Grammar. Um, thankfully, it's only 500 metres down the road, so it turned out okay. And uh, so, okay, everything's going okay now. I got to church, everything's cool. And then I discovered that my parents had travelled uh, four hours to be here by 9.30 and everything wasn't cool again. <laughs> I was nervous again. But I'm really glad that they're here. It's great. We're going to continue on. If you've got your Bibles with you, open them to uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. I'm going to start, or we're going to continue, I should say. I'm going the wrong way. Okay, we're going to continue with what Mark's been teaching us over the last few weeks from the book of Ephesians. And today, uh, it's the second half of chapter 4, and it's to do with, uh, the, the title is actually Rules for Christian Living. If you're here for the first time um, at church, you're saying to yourself, I told you so, it's all rules. It's all rules and regulations, that's all it's about. But stick with it, let's have a look at it and see what happens. So I tell you this, this is Paul writing to the Ephesians, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given them over themselves over to sensuality, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbours, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. How are you doing with that? Have you ticked off all those? Yeah? No probs? I don't need to preach. Okay. Rules. I titled this morning, Play by the Rules. If you ever watch little children when they start to play, they always start by setting the rules. Even if they start without rules, about two minutes into the game, someone, normally the oldest child, will say, hang on a minute, you can't do that, you've got to do this, because this is the rule that I'm imposing on you now. And quite often, even though they set up all the rules at the start of the game, halfway through the game the rules change, because it may not be going the way one child wants it to go. And so the rules slightly change. Now, my brother's a classic example of this. I grew up with a, uh, I had a younger brother and a younger sister. My younger brother's two years younger than me, but about 20 kilos heavier. Now... When he, well, he wasn't then, but he is now. 
when he, uh, shouldn't tell him that, should I? He'll probably listen to this. Anyway, when we were playing, you, the game would always end up in tears. Now, it was normally my tears, and it was normally because I'd won. And what would happen is that if it got to a point in the game where Terry wasn't happy with what was going on, either it was, it was a punch in the arm, or it was the game scattered to the four corners of the room, and it was no longer, you couldn't tell who won. See. Now, um, even today when I play games with him, I do kind of set myself, the last little bit of the game, I kind of set myself to run. It's that fight or flight instinct, and I always run. <laughs> rules are funny things. Quite often, I think people talk about rules and say, well, you know, the, the Christian life is, is all about rules. And quite often, outside the church, that's the way it's perceived that the rules are what we have to abide by. And if we don't do that, then we're not going to be heading to heaven, etc., etc. But rules, are, I think God's rules are guidelines, really. They're there to keep us safe. And if we play within them, life generally works. I've been to a few netball games in my life since Stacy was eight. So that's uh, nine years now of netball games. And my wife's, as I said, at one today. And what I've noticed is that the worse the umpires are, the more likely it is that somebody gets hurt. If the rules aren't being enforced properly, the game gets rougher and rougher and rougher and the parents get more and more and more upset until somebody is hurt. There's two or three girls lying on the ground and everyone blames umpires because they're the easy way out. But what it is is that the rules that the game is designed to play within are not being enforced properly. If the rules were enforced properly, the game would be a lot safer. So what I want to do is just go through this one verse at a time and try and pull it apart. And you forgive me if this is my first time pulling apart a Bible verse. Let's see how we go. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. What Paul's saying, and he's, he's actually saying it quite strongly, he's saying, I insist on it, and you must no longer live that way. The question I asked myself when I read that was, do I live that way? Has my lifestyle changed from what I used to be like once I met Jesus? And we could probably preach a whole sermon on that because that, that is a really good question for each of us to sit here and think, now have I, have I really changed? He talks about their thinking as futile. Now futile is, um, basically means of no lasting importance. And if you look at the way our, our world lives today, a lot of the stuff they do doesn't, you know, it's not really going to last. There's a lot of hero worship. There's a lot of stuff that goes on. One direction are here. Who's excited about that? Yeah, because one person. <laughs> All right. I, yeah, and the other ones aren't going to put their hands up. So, but, you know, they'll be here, they'll be gone. You know, they're not the Beatles, for goodness sake. They're one direction, okay? All right. They're here, they've got two songs, and they'll be here. But, but, the adulation and, the, and the, the kind of stuff that's going on, it's just amazing. Security fears. And you normally talk about that when Barack Obama, Barack Obama comes to visit. The security fears, they're going, oh, security fears are in one direction. There's, that's where our world is putting their faith. That's where our world is putting their, their hopes and their dreams. And, oh, if only I could meet him. And my whole world, if you listen to some of the girls being interviewed, it's just, in 20 years' time, and they look back at that, <laughs> Mm. Eugene Peterson, who is uh, quite famous for having written the Message Bible, the paraphrased Message Bible, or whatever you want to call it, he also wrote another book called Running with Horses. And I found a, 
I found a, um, a quote from it that really, really kind of disturbed me because if I think of my world this way, um, something has gone wrong. He says, the puzzle is why so many people live so badly, not so wickedly, but so inanely, not so cruelly, but so stupidly. There is little to admire and even less to imitate in the people who are prominent in our culture. We have celebrities, but not saints. Famous entertainers amuse a nation of bored insomniacs. Infamous criminals act out the aggression of timid conformists. Petulant and spoiled athletes, and I thought of soccer initially when I read that, play games vicariously for lazy and apathetic spectators. People aimless and bored amuse themselves with trivia and trash. Neither the adventure of goodness nor the pursuit of righteousness gets any headlines. When I think of the amount of time that I spend on Facebook, trivia and trash kind of comes to mind. I think if we're fasting, as, as Tabitha wants us to do, maybe we should fast off Facebook or Twitter or those things because we probably spend a lot more time doing that than we do eating. And so we would actually get more time to spend with God than if we just gave up food. I think of the words of uh, Skyhooks, this movie from uh, their book, book. They never wrote a book. Their song from the 70s, horror movie. It's the 6.30 news and it's shocking me right out of my brain. And when I look at the news today, I think not a lot has changed. The only thing that's changed that doesn't shock us anymore. The news is only selling us what we've been conditioned to buy. And the only time they ever have 24-hour coverage is if there's some major disaster and millions of people have died. Because that's what makes news. A tsunami, a flood, an earthquake. And then they finish the news with a story about a kitten that's been rescued out of a tree. As if that's the only good news they can find. I don't think they really know what good news is. But that's our culture. And interestingly enough, when I studied legal studies back in school, the title of the book was Ignorance is No Excuse. And in fact, that's always been the case at law. Ignorance is no excuse. If you go to court and you're not aware of the law, then bad luck. You're going to lose. And what our society generally fails to realise is that when we go to stand before God, at the end of our life, ignorance is not going to be an excuse. It never has been. So the problem, I think, is our hearts, and my heart is included in this because, you know, until I was 23, I was a Gentile, and, and my heart had become like a sponge, but not a sponge that gets used all the time, a sponge that hasn't been used for a long time. It has this, you know, how it gets like this hard crust over it. And then when you put it in water, it doesn't draw in the water like it's supposed to. And you have to actually sit it in the water for a long time before it actually gets filled. And what our lives are supposed to be like is like a sponge that fills in with the water of God, the living water of God. And when people squeeze us, that's what should come out. But the problem, I think, uh, sometimes we expect you know, people who are new to the church, new Christians that have just come into the church, we expect them to be doing all these amazing things straight away, but the crust hasn't had time to dissolve. And sometimes they just need to sit in the Lord for a bit longer before they actually fully draw in his water. 
I found this a little while ago, an example of this, um, how this kind of happens, the crust forms over our lives. As I went to, again, another netball story, I went to put some netball poles into a stadium. One day they went to train, the girls went to train at Berwick and, the, and the, it was wet. And so they, they hired the stadium, the indoor stadium. And mostly they play basketball there. And when they play netball, they have to actually put the poles in at either end. And then there's the slot where the pole goes in at each end. Well, we could not get the, the pole to go into the slot. And we couldn't work out why. It looked, right, it looked fine. But what had happened is at the bottom, there was about an inch of caked dirt and mud or whatever, and it had gone rock hard. And so we physically had to unscrew the steel insert from out of the court. We had to go outside, and we were banging it literally on the concrete, trying to get this out. And what we discovered was it wasn't dirt, mud, or any of that kind of stuff. It was dust. It was just a thin layer of dust, but over a number of years, the dust had just settled and settled and settled until the end, this insert, this pole insert, couldn't be used for what it was designed for. And the danger in our culture is that what happens is we, we just let the dust settle over us. We let the things like the 6.30 news settle over us, and all of a sudden, after a while, we don't notice when things are wrong. We don't notice. It's kind of this slow fade. And all of a sudden we end up with futile thinking. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, bear in mind, Paul's talking to Christians. He's talking to people that he has spent time with. He's established their faith. He has prayed with them. He has walked with them over a certain amount of time. But this verse makes assumptions that new Christians have been discipled. Now, Paul knows they were because he discipled them. He spent time with them. But I wonder if our church today disciples new Christians the way that Paul did. I think sometimes the problem maybe with our kind of slick evangelistic show that it is sometimes is that we, we have this kind of cookie-cutter mentality. We have this evangelism that, that stamps people as a new Christian and sends them out into the world expecting them to survive. Whereas what they need is to be connected in with the church. You've all seen the hundreds of people going forward at the seminars and, and you know, Reinhard Bonnke was there and I'm not having to go at any evangelists because I think what they do is fantastic. But I wonder sometimes when, you know, 500 people go forward at the end of a night, who's going to disciple those people? Which, which, which church are they connected with? How are they being connected with the church? Do they have a one-on-one -on -one person to walk with them? Because I tell you, if we send them back out into the world, the dust will begin to settle on them again. And eventually, after a while, they will forget. It happens. So what Paul is saying is that putting off our old self is like putting off wet and dirty clothes and putting on new ones. Now, I'm glad my dad's here because I, can, I need to clarify this with him because when we lived on the farm, when I was growing up, we had uh, a tank, an underwater, underground, sorry, underwater, underground tank, um, which... Now, it was a water tank? Water tank, okay. So I had it as a septic tank. So it wasn't as bad as I thought. Well, we have, yeah. Okay. Oh, I know they're different. 
I grew up on a farm, hello. So, so what we had to do is every now and then, obviously you know when you live on a farm and you rely on the water, you have to clean out the bottom of the tank. Now, Dad used to ask me, I think he asked me once maybe to do it, um, and it reminded me of a, a, a quote that I heard from Oscar Wilde. Um, he, he took his, um, his dad fishing, or his dad took him fishing one day, and his dad wrote in his diary, went fishing today, another day wasted. And Oscar wrote in his diary, went fishing today, the best day of my life. Now, cleaning out a water tank is not a great, you know, Dad probably look, didn't look forward to that. It's like something that has to be done. I thought it was fantastic. You know, for a seven or eight year old kid, that is awesome to go into a dark hole in the ground where there's mud and normally frogs was absolutely awesome. Now, you can imagine what we came out looking like at the end of that day and what we smelt like. Now, imagine the next morning if I got up and I put on those same clothes and I went to have breakfast. And mum would probably smell me before I got in the room. But you can imagine what her response would be. Why on earth are you putting on your old dirty clothes? And that's what I would say to us and to me. Why do I continually put on my old dirty clothes? I've been saved. I've been set free. God has saved me from the fertility of my thinking. I now don't have to wear the clothes I used to wear. When I get tempted to put on those old dirty clothes, I have to say, no, I've got a new set of clothes that I can wear. I've got a new wardrobe that God has dressed me in. I don't have to go back to where I was. And I can tell you what wet clothes feel like when you put on because when Lauren and I did the Great Victorian bike ride back in 2004, we rode one day to the base of the Otway Ranges and we finished in a town called Jellybrand. Now, I don't know if anybody knows Jellybrand, but heck of a lot of rain Jellybrand gets. We had ridden in the rain for the last two hours of the ride and when we got there, we, we, we found that we were one of the last because I was quite slow because she was on the back and our bike was heavier than everybody else's. And so when we got there, there was an oval that people were camped on. There's 9,000 people on this ride. There was an oval people were already camped on. And then the, the overflow was in a cow paddock. Now, I don't know if you've seen a cow paddock in the wet, but what it ends up looking like. But basically, a lot of potholes, pretty much. And so to try and find somewhere to camp was really interesting. So we, I set up the tent. Lauren, Lauren lay in this lovely lady's tent who was already set up, and she had a polywaffle, I think, while she watched me from the nice dry spot set up this tent in record time because it was pouring rain. And then we jumped inside the tent and we quickly took our stuff off and we hung it up inside the tent, mistakenly believing that overnight it was going to dry. Of course it didn't. In the morning, we got up and I only had one set of clothes because you, you can't carry too many things. And in the morning, we got up and we had to actually put on our wet clothes and ride, oh, I'm talking six o'clock in the morning, ride for the first hour before we got warm. It was the worst experience of my life. It was freezing. And it was filthy, and you could smell your sweat, and you could, it was just not nice. But that's what we need to feel like when we put on our old clothes. When we go back to the style of life that we used to live, it should make us shiver. It should, we should have a response. Because the Spirit of God in us should say, no, that's not where I want you to go. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. And speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. If you notice with God, there's always a putting off and a putting on. 
There's all these two, like as, as Professor Sumner Miller used to say, there's an equal and opposite reaction. You put off this, you put on that. Put off falsehood, start speaking truthfully. Put off the old self, put on the new person. Drive out the demon, invite the Holy Spirit in. Stop being proud, start being humble, stop telling lies, start telling the truth. Now you can only do that when you know the truth. And the truth is not a thing, it's not some thing out there. The truth is a person, the truth is Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. Here's the truth. And I know for us Generation X and baby boomers and older, we don't have really have an issue so much with people telling us what the truth is. We're used to that. We've sat in churches and we've sat in talks with people telling us what the truth is, and we accept that. But our Gen Y want to experience the truth. They don't necessarily want us to be standing up here telling them what the truth is. They want to experience it and work out for themselves what the truth is. And the great thing about it, because Jesus is the truth, you can experience it. He's alive. You can experience the truth and what a relationship with Jesus is like. It's truth as experienced. And that's what our current generation are looking for. This is the one I, I think is really tough. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Oh, if only I had the faith of Joshua and I could make the sun stand still. I need more time sometimes. Sometimes if I'm having a fight at night, it's like I don't have any time to make up here. If I had more time, I'd be able to get my own way. Sometimes that's, that's what it's all about, isn't it? You know, getting your own way. But, the, but this verse is there for a reason because he knows that if we hang on to stuff, the devil will get a foothold. If we, if we, if we, um, if something happens and we hold on to it, then bitterness and anger, all those things form. And he, God knows we're going to get angry. He doesn't say, he doesn't say, don't get angry. He says, whoa, you know, in your anger. He knows that we get angry, but don't sin in that anger. Take time. To compromise, I know that's a tough word sometimes, but compromise is what you need to do. Mostly it's just you're, you're out of control. Something's happening and you can't control it. You've got a goal that you're heading towards and something's blocked it. And the anger is more with what's happening than, than with the person, but it gets taken out on a person. When Deanna and I went for pre-marriage counselling, we, we went to the Berwick Church of Christ a long time ago, 22 years ago. And we were going to meet with the pastor there. And the pastor wasn't there that night. Um, we found out later that he, he, that was the night when everything broke and he was going to leave the church. It was a big hoo-ha. But we turned up for marriage counselling on the night and it didn't happen. So we rescheduled another time with the new pastor. It was kind of the associate guy who was, he was, he was great when he was up the front preaching. He was really dynamic, but he, would, he couldn't really look you in the eye at the door. He, God enabled him to do what he needed to do and that was about it. And we had him for premarital counselling and he ended up basically standing between us going, whoa, <laughs> whoa. And he said, I think you guys need to work on conflict resolution. And 21 years later, we still need to work on conflict resolution. Because <laughs> now we've got three children who go, whoa. Some of them go, fight. But it's... <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> 
It was, only, it was only actually a few months ago that I found myself sitting at Fountain Gate Car Park and uh, I was angry. I was really angry. And my wife was at home and she was also really angry. And, uh, and it's just one of those things where neither of us was really angry at each other, but we were. And I felt God, I was sitting at, car, I'm sitting at Fountain Gate, I mean, I'm thinking, what am I doing here? Lord, give me something to do. I'll just check my phone. I check my phone. You know how you do. Uh, Facebook, yeah, nothing happening on Facebook. Nothing happening on Twitter. He said, why don't you watch a video? Ah, because I download Life Church messages. And the message that day was on trials. I thought, how appropriate. God has a sense of humor. And in a trial, he's saying there's three keys, three things that people do generally when they get into a trial or when they get into a fight. And the three things are, They give up, that's the first thing. Then they lash out, and then they run away. And I just went, oh Lord, I just did all three of those things. <laughs> this message is perfect for me. And, you know, I wasn't, I hadn't get, just given the devil a foothold, he was redecorating. And I was like, I was letting it happen. And I'd send all these text messages that you just, you know, once you put something out there in cyberspace, it's always there. You can't take it back. I thought, oh no, I've, I have to, I have to humble myself here. And so I actually, I, I just called Deanna and I said, look, I've just, I've just listened to this message, and I'm going to come home and we're going to sort this out. And I did, but it was really, really tough. But let me tell you, the reason why you make up before the sun goes down. Well, you married people, you all know that making up is the best part. It's the best part. And so there's a reason why you have to make up before the sun goes down. That's one of the reasons. That's kind of a byproduct. It's not really the reason, but it's a byproduct. But I think, I think um, you know, I still struggle with this. And don't, don't think that I'm standing up here going, well, that was a great story, Dale. You've really got together. No, 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 no. You should have seen, you should have had a conversation this morning when I sent her the wrong netball courts. All right. It wasn't, it wasn't, oh, okay, let's sort this out. It was a little bit stressful. <laughs> in Philippians 1.6 it says that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ God can't complete anything in you if you run away He can't the trick to a trial is to stay in the trial you have to stay in it to be perfected as the Bible says because it's only through trials that we learn if we run away from everything God can't teach us Anything. I have a friend called Neil Stevens who calls it going around the mountain. He said, Sometimes you, as a few people have heard this before, you go around the mountain, and if you don't learn, when you come across that piece of trouble, if you don't learn from that piece of trouble, you go around the mountain again. Same spot, and by the time, you, as soon as you come around, there it is again. It'll keep coming up. But if you can learn and step over that hurdle with God's help, you get to go a little bit higher up the mountain. And the thing about going higher up the mountain is it's, less, it's not as far to go around. But be assured that there'll be a trial at that level as well. But the higher and higher you go, the shorter the trip is. Which probably means you, the trials come around quicker. But <laughs> I hadn't thought about it. That's a bad analogy, isn't it? <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. But yes, as you, but, but the thing is, as you go, you've dealt with all these trials all the way up. And by the time you get to this one, it's like, I know what to do here. I know my God can get me through this. I can get past this. 
with his help. I don't want God to invite me to go around the mountain again at the same level. Anyone who has been stealing? Anybody? Oh, no hands? Brad, was that a hand? No. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Again, it's a give and take. Stop stealing. Start working. Stop taking what's not yours. Start giving what is yours. There's an old saying. Everybody knows that an idle mind is the devil's workshop or the devil loves idle hands. It's actually an old Scottish saying. It says, if the devil finds a man idle, he'll set him to work. And believe me, if he finds you doing nothing with your life, he will set you to work. So what this is saying is, it's okay to stop being the way we were, but you've now got to start being who God wants you to be. You can't just say, I've made it now. I'm now a Christian. God has saved me. I've got my ticket to heaven. I'm saved. I'm sanctified. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, take me now. The reason he leaves us here is that we can, we can then step out and be the person he wants us to be and affect the world for, the, for good. So there'll be less Gentiles with futile thinking and more Christians and more people who love God, more people, well, God loves everybody, but more people who understand who Jesus is who can then live for him. That's why we're here. That's why we're still here. Another one I have trouble with. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Cheryl asked us a question yesterday when we were doing the training for um, uh, Kids Hope Oz. Um, and it was to do with, uh, we had a little exercise on how to change a negative statement into a positive statement. And the negative statement was... Um, Stop talking, you know, stop, stop talking, uh, stop talking while I'm talking or something like that. Now, in our house, I often say, I'm sorry for talking while you're interrupting. And, but then I've discovered that sarcasm is not a gift of the spirit. <laughs> as funny as it is, it's not a gift of the spirit. <laughs> a pastor was making a wooden trellis to support a climbing plant. As he was hammering away, he noticed that the little boy was watching him from over the fence. Now, the young boy didn't say a word to the pastor as he kept on working. He was thinking the boy was bored and he left him alone and he thought, he'll leave in a little while when he gets bored. But he didn't. So the pastor, pleased with himself at the thought that the boy must be admiring his work, he said, well, son, trying to pick up some pointers on gardening? No, he replied. I'm just waiting to see what a preacher says when he hits his thumb with a hammer. <laughs> see, people are watching. People are watching us. You may not know it, but at the minute you are known as a Christian, the minute you, are, you profess a faith in Jesus Christ, people are watching. My brother watched me for nine years. He thought it was a phase I was going through. And after nine years, he decided it's not a phase. And then he wanted to know more. Now his wife and him and all his children are saved. But if I had a messed up in that time, what a stumbling block that would have been for him. But if you do the right thing most of the time, sometimes just maybe you'll get a chance to talk to someone about Jesus. 
or even to give advice. When I started work at Avonwood Homes quite a few years ago now, there was a, a receptionist there who was about 17 years old. Um, and it was the first workplace that I wanted to be known as a Christian. Well, not wanted to, but I decided that this is it. When I start this job, I'm not going to hold back. I'm not going to. When people ask me what I did on the weekend, church is not going to be the last thing on my list or left off altogether. It was like on Sunday I went to church and then everything else happened. I did this for a little while and then one day, um, Lana, her name was, and she, she came to me and, and uh, I'd been there about 18 months or something like that. And she said, Daryl, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. She said, my boyfriend's asked me to move in with him. Do you think I should? I said, well, after I got off the flight, why are you asking me? She said, well, you're the only, you're the only one here who has any kind of moral code that they live by. So I thought you'd know the answer. Pressure. So I said, I said, well, well, it was a long answer, but it, the short of it was, no, don't. You're 17 years old. Don't move in with your boyfriend. Give it time. Get to know the relationship, etc., etc. Two weeks later, he dumped her. And I think, you know, God gave me the chance to influence someone's life because I'd made a choice to stand for him in a workplace. Nearly done. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. I didn't have much trouble with some of these things. Rage, not so much. Brawling, haven't had a fight since I played footy and even then I lost. Um, slander, not too bad. Malice, I don't even know what that means. So, you know, I can probably dismiss most of those words. I had trouble with anger and bitterness. Um, but, you know, he says flee from them. The Bible says flee from the devil. Don't stay around. You know, if you heard that, that thing where you draw a line near the edge of the cliff and you take a big step back from it. Don't stand, don't stand right here just inside God's protection, right next to the world. Take a big step back from it. When I was young, my uncle used to take us fox shooting out in the farm, Uncle Bill. And he, when, you, when you're fine, has anybody been fox shooting? Oh, yes. Kerry, really? Oh, you are a woman of mystery. <sighs> Got to get to know you better. Fox shooting is a really interesting sport because when you go shooting on a farm, there are fences between you and the fox. And uh, generally speaking, you don't want to go through the fences. And the way to, 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 ch to chase a fox generally was to run him down if you could, as a shotgun was the most effective way because they move so fast. And so you had to basically chase them in a crate, standing in a crate on the, in the back of the ute and hold on while the driver did all sorts of things. Dad was normally the driver. Uncle Bill was up the back with the guns. And we were, you know, teenagers standing there with guns in the back of a ute killing crate. And it's just a recipe for disaster. But if you could get alongside the fox, you could get a clean shot. Now, imagine you're the fox. What do you have to do to not be shot? Run, run fast, yes. 
stop running. Oh, I don't know about that. Well, all right, maybe. I think you've just got to be, you've got to have enough fences between you and the ute, don't you? You've got to be far enough away. Now, my uncle had a fantastic, he had the shotgun, that was the first resort. He also had a triple two, which could shoot a really long way. But there were times when we would stop, we'd be on a road and we'd stop and, we, you know, you're spanning around, you see a lot, you see a, a sparkle and you know it's a fox's eye and the fox is just looking at you and he gets it in the sights and he goes, it's too far away. And even if it was within range, the odds of him hitting it are pretty small. And that's what God wants us to do. Instead of staying close to immorality or, or bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, be far enough away that it can't affect you. Be far enough away, be deep enough. What he's really saying is be deep enough in God's word that these things are not going to come at you all the time or come out of your mouth. Be deep enough in God's word. Now, most, most people here are born again, Bible-believing Christians. And, but honestly, how, how have you gone with this passage? Because I struggled with it. I really did. And when Mark asked me to preach on it Wednesday night, Thank him for giving me two days to prepare. Wednesday night, I, saw, I, looked, I read through the passages and went, oh, my goodness. And Diana thankfully said, I don't know if you can preach on this. <laughs> and she was right. So I do not stand before you as a perfect person to preach on this, but it's, it's a really tough passage because these rules are really hard to do. And the only way we can do them is with God's help. That is the only way. You can't comply with all this stuff outside of God. You can't. It's impossible. The world is too strong. It will suck you in. Now, I wanted to ask people to respond this morning. And because I've never done an altar call, I haven't got a clue what I'm doing. But I know that, that for the Christians in this room... Ooh message from God. The Christians in this room, we're used to this sort of stuff. We're used to somebody asking us to respond to a word. But as I say, I, I just wonder how, how you've gone with this. We got, we're really good at, I guess, what's the word? Convincing ourselves that we've done okay. But the reality is, everybody fails. And what I'd like us to do today is to respond to God in a way that means you can spend some time with him and say, Lord, some of these things on this list of rules I haven't done so well with. And I need your help. And perhaps as the band comes to play, we can do some business with God. <laughs> Now, for those of you who are perhaps in this room, and I don't know if there are, who've never been in a church before, and you're sitting here and you're thinking, I knew it, it's rules. Christianity is rules. Well, it's true, God's set the boundaries. He set the boundaries that he wants us to live within. And they're good boundaries. And they're boundaries that enable us not to get hurt if we can live within them. But there's a deeper way. Because the Pharisees followed the rules. They did, to the letter, and they missed the point. You can follow the rules, or you can follow Jesus. And if you follow Jesus, you will keep the rules without even thinking. 
Because if you have a relationship with him, you want to please him. You want to do the right thing. Love makes you do those things. And the rules won't seem so onerous once you know him. So if you're here today and you're a new person in the church and you're wondering, is this all for me? It's for everybody. Jesus said, today is a day of salvation. Please don't walk out of here and think that, well, that was a good message and I'll try and apply some of that stuff to my life. You can't. You can try all you like. My brother tried for nine years, couldn't do it. I tried for 23. It was impossible. Couldn't get it right until God came to live in my heart, until I accepted Jesus, until I said, he is the Lord of my life and I'm going to live the way he wants me to live, on his instructions. And when I did that, it was just magic. No, it wasn't. It didn't all come together straight away. It was still a struggle. But I knew that I could get through each struggle, each time around the mountain, because Jesus was with me. So this morning while the band plays, if you're sitting there thinking, I hope he finishes soon. It's getting late. I really need to go. That's, that's the devil saying to you, don't respond. Don't respond. But God wants you to. So if you would like prayer this morning, and we've got um, Tabitha and, and Russell and a few other people who can come and pray with you. If you would like prayer, that's fine. If you would like to just do business with God by yourself, that's also fine. Be that in your chair, be that out the front here, that's fine. But there's something, there's a power in stepping out. There's a power in stepping out. You can sit there and do it, do it in your head and that's fine. But stepping out makes you accountable, makes you accountable to other people. It's up to you. Thanks, gosh. Thanks, gosh. Thanks, gosh. Thanks, gosh.